0: Hello and welcome to the FT Advisor podcast, the weekly podcast series brought to you by FT Advisor. I'm Maria Espadinha, senior reporter of FT Advisor and financial advisor. Joining me today is Fiona Frobisher, head of policy at the Pensions Regulator. We will be discussing new rules of pension schemes in relation to climate change, how to reduce the number of badly run schemes and what is being done to ensure trustees can guide their members towards financial advice. So um, what can members that are home and receive their annual statement expect to see due to the change on on these matters? They can expect
1: a statement of investment principles to set out what the trustees concluded about issues like climate risk and environmental and social factors, how how big an effect they think they might have on the scheme, and how they're taking them into account when they set the objectives for the investment consultants and the investment strategy generally to make sure they get the kind of returns
0: they want they need. Mm-hmm. And if a scheme has concerns or would like to see their pension invested in more, um, ESG-friendly assets. Is there a way they can let the trustees know about this? Is there something that is considering the new rules? Um, certainly, I mean, members can make their their wishes known
1: to trustees, and that's something they can do, and that trustees need to take into account um, what the expectations of members are when they they set things like investment strategies. There's a big difference here between There's a problem between value and values. So most of this stuff is not primarily about what individual values are for ESG. So what people might think about, I really don't want people to be investing in factory farming because I don't like that. It's much more about what will the actual return be for those kind of investments if regulations change in future or because there are certain climate events that change, kind of whether you can actually still operate that business it's taking those things as financial risks into account more than kind of individual value-led decisions. Mm
0: -hmm. And will this be for defined benefit members as well as defined contribution members? It is um, so it hits quicker for DC
1: members so DC members can be expecting trustees to be doing this by October this year and they are expected to be setting this out for DB members it's October next year at 2020.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: But equal rules for for both? Same rules. Same rules, same expectations.
0: Specifically about defined benefit schemes, the poorly governed schemes consolidation, is this something only affects DB or affects DC across the board to every of these schemes? What we're looking at the moment is DC schemes
1: primarily Mm -hmm. because DC schemes are where the value for member issue really hits and we've got quite a lot of evidence to show that members in smaller DC schemes are l- less likely to be getting good value for money than you would
0: be in a larger scheme. So you are proposing to reduce the number of poorly governed pension schemes by promoting consolidation. How can you do that by merging the pa- the poorly run scheme into a bigger one? I sure the issues that made it a poorly run scheme are not going to stay there if they merge to a bigger scheme? So some of the issues will
1: go away. That's why that's why we think you should be in a bigger scheme. We think that there are issues around economy of scale that means you might be able to have access to different kinds of investments. They may cost less. You may get better governance across your scheme. You may get a lot better communication. The kind of bigger schemes can put more money into how they communicate with members. They have innovative ways of showing you what, what your pension is in future. So all of those, I think, will give members a better experience. The issue that you might be getting at that's under there is there is a problem that a lot of small schemes may have really bad data. And we recognise that that's a problem and we recognise that they may not be entirely attractive to kind of like the bigger multi-employer schemes to take on kind of schemes with, these, with not great data. We are obviously talking to the new master trusts and we're talking about which ones might be willing to do it and which ones wouldn't. And some will and some
0: won't. And it, the market will evolve. What is the solution if there's no one to take one of those schemes because they just have poor data and there's no one willing to take them? I think, I mean, that's a long way down the road before we get to that. And we could look at what the kind
1: of solutions might be when we get there. At the moment, we are not looking at anything mandatory. Mm -hmm. What we're looking at is kind of voluntary. And we're looking at if it's some of the research where we've gone out and talked to particularly very small schemes about their options, some of them just didn't even understand that this was possible for them. So we're just making them aware and making it clear that there's something they can do. And
0: what about the trustees of these schemes? Are are they just... Are they just being poorly run because they don't have an idea how they do it? Or are we talking about people willingly not running their schemes well just because they're not fulfilling their duties? Um, there's a whole mixture of reasons, as there will. One of the bits
1: of research where we've looked at some of these smaller schemes that are poorly run, um, that it seems to be fairly consistent, where we've said, why are you not doing what we call key governance requirements, some key things that we think everybody should do running a scheme? And they've come back to us and said, we don't think it applies to us. We look at this and we realise it's very complex. There's a lot of legislation around it. And I fully appreciate there is, but it's there because it's protecting members' money. They look at that and kind of go, it can't possibly for us. It must be just be for larger schemes. And so I think that's a lot of the reason some of them are doing it. They just don't see it as something they should do. And that causes is a real problem as a regulator to feel that that there are members that we know that are not getting protected in the way that they might be if they're in another scheme because the trustees just don't see it as part of their job. Mm
0: -hmm. And and what is the regulator's role in that? Are you warning them or letting them know that it is part of the job? And do you also help them to be able to, to do that? Yeah. So last
1: year we did a big Uh, we did a big sort of campaign on what we thought the kind of the basic tenets of good governance were. We put out a lot of um, information, lots of tools for people that don't have it. If you might not know how to run a risk register, here's one you could use, all those kind of things. So we've put all those kind of things out. We are stepping things up a bit this year. We have some um, much more pointed campaigns about very specific single issue governance things. So like, how do you Um, govern your investment strategy how do you set how do you review your default strategy how do you do that we've got one that's coming out very soon around kind of like basic record keeping how do you basically review your data and make sure it's in the right place and by going down some things very very specifically we're going to be very clear with those kind of trustees about this is what we expect you to do this is how you can do it and then we can have the conversation with them afterwards whether this is something that they're prepared to do and if they're not then those are the kind of people we're saying. So if you're not prepared to do this, and we think it's basic, then you probably need to think about should you be consolidating.
0: Mm-hmm. And the masters you are talking about on the receiving end of these schemes are they open to these kind of consolidation movements?
1: So um, as I said, at the moment we're just authorising consolidators. Mm-hmm. So yeah. till we have a full market where we've got a number of authorised consolidators, I don't think we can really look at how we take this further. So it's mm-hmm. so we're at the real beginnings of this at the moment, about seeing how far we can go. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Another topic that um, I wanted to discuss is in the relationship from between the pensions regulator and the Financial Conduct Authority. There was a joint strategy published, um, I imagine, a year ago, something mm-hmm. like that. You've been developing a working plan. Um, how is that going? Is there any update you can give us? So
1: it's going well. I mean, there's a whole set of different kind of areas where we're looking at things. One of the kind of key things that we're trying to do at the moment is describe a consumer journey. So to think about how how members move through the pension system because one of the key issues about having a joint strategy is there are elements that we regulate and there are elements that FCA regulate but the the individual member or saver doesn't care they just they just need to know that their pension is being properly looked after through the system so we're trying to understand where the key points are and to make sure that having two regulators
0: means that there aren't any gaps and that those things are kind of working together. Mm -hmm. I imagine this consumer journey is more on a DC side of pensions. Um, No, it's both. So I think it's, no, it's both. And and what kind of aspects are you looking at, and how you do are you conducting this research? Is just more of a qualitative kind of um, yes. So process? so yes, it is. So we've looked at we've looked at some kind
1: of a uh, literature review. So so what we know already, and we're we're doing kind of mapping out between ourselves and with other stakeholders to think about what it is we know and and where all the different elements are in place.
0: When can we expect some kind of conclusions on this work? Not my piece of work, so I can't <laughs> actually kind of give a date on that. So another topic I wanted to discuss is the relationship between the regulators in the British Steel case and how the um, review uh, produced by Caroline Rooks signed, uh, pointed out to several um, aspects that could be improved. One of them is that TPR should issue some kind of guidance to trustees when they want to appoint financial advisors. TPR did produce a response to this this review, but I just wanted to know what where are we standing at and what kind of guidance are you preparing for trustees okay so, there's,
1: there's a lot of work that we've been doing jointly with the FCA since the kind of like the British Steel and the whole Time to Choose initiative took place. And the, the first thing that we put in place was a joint protocol. So, if those kind of high, high profile situations where members become very vulnerable happen again, we have a whole kind of set of protocols where we and the FCA and um, now the new kind of uh, MAP and thing will, will swing into action to make sure that we are all working together and not against each other. So, that's in place. Some of the Caroline Brooks type stuff was around how trustees communicate with members so that they are in a good place to make really well-informed decisions about what they do with their pensions. One of the main things that we're doing about that is putting together a hub where trustees will be able to go to find the kind of information that will help them thinking about what they need to communicate and when they need to communicate. The issue of about kind of how financial advisors fit into this, financial advisors obviously are are FCA regulated, they produce their lists of them and as things stand at the moment, trustees, if they want to, can point out can point to these lists. There are things that they can they can already do to kind of put a panel together. But it's up to trustees to decide whether that's something they want to do in the situation.
0: Mm-hmm. So there's no kind of guidance from TPR if trustees definitely need to appoint an IFA. Uh, that's something that you to to discretion of trustees to decide.
1: Yeah, we're, we're, we're trying to make trustees aware of all the different ways that they could communicate with members or make sure that members are getting the kind of the right kind of advice. Um, and the FCA are obviously doing huge amounts of work to make sure that the advisors that, that members go to are giving them the right advice and are the right people to be doing it.
0: And when can trustees expect
1: to see this hub? So, so put (laughs) them in line. We we have said that we will have something up in September. It's Mm -hmm. very likely to be at the the first place. Quite skeletal. That's Mm -hmm. kind of we're going to put something up, and then we are going to do a lot more work around working out. So, where are the gaps? What other things
0: might we want to do? We'll Mm -hmm. see how it works. And, and since the British Steel case uh, came to light, which was uh, almost a year ago, I think, have you received any kind of concerns from trustees about relationship with financial advisors or do they go to the FCA about that? Is that something that they are concerned about?
1: I am not aware of anything specific there. There's, there's, a, there's a general problem that has been for a very long while about there is a difference and where you're looking at DB to DC transfer between um, concerns in the Pension world, the DB pension world, where you're, where you're looking at administrators who are doing things at volume, mm-hmm. and um, what financial advisors are doing, who are doing things very bespoke and kind of in detail, and those two worlds need to talk. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and that's been a problem for a long while. Um, we spent the last couple of years working with industry and with the FCA and others to draw together a template to say this is a basic set of information that passes from one world to another that you can use to do that. Um, and PASA have very recently put that out as part of their kind of good guidance guide to how you do a transfer well.
0: Mm-hmm. Can TPR make it mandatory if you wanted? That's the first question. And would that be something that we would consider? So
1: we can't make things mandatory. The Department of Work and Pensions has to do that. DWP has to make things law. We could obviously go and lobby them. But if we thought that that was something that needed doing, Mm -hmm. it is an area we continue to look at and the DWP do. The minister himself has been quite interested in how we make sure that this works
0: well. So um, any kind of uh, other areas you're going to look at in your work with the FCA and about the trustees and the relationship with, with financial advisors? So um, our our next steps will be to look again at the guidance that
1: we're putting out around DB to DC transfers. So we know that we need to review our guidance. Some of it is to catch up with some changes in regulations that have have happened. And some of it is to take some of the learnings from these kind of situations and see what else we can say. Um, The basic guidance on CETVs we're looking at hasn't really been updated since 2008. So we should definitely do that. So that's kind of our next steps is to get that brought up to the, the place we need it to be.
0: And also to include, there have been a lot of changes from the FCA um, yeah. side of things for financial advisors. Yeah, and that continues to be. They're looking again at their register and how they're going to put that out. And so
1: we can, so we are working with them to see how that will work and therefore how, how we can talk about it.
0: Thank you, Fiona, for joining us today. Tune in next week for another edition of the FT Advisor podcast. Thank you.